Welcome back to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I'm Meredith, here as always with Alex and Ivy. Today is Sunday, the November the 8th, and it's a great day, truly. Not quite as good as yesterday, um, but not bad because what happened, Alex? Joe Biden won the election mm-hmm. and the vice president is Kamala Harris, yep. who is the first female vice president of the United States ever, ever. Yeah. Yep. The, <clears throat> and not just a woman. Yeah. Woman of color, uh, multiracial. So African-American and Indian American, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. It's like, not only are like, is it's like, you know, obviously female representation, but female minority representation, which is important, especially I think, you know, now where like we have more data on the election, it's like becoming more and more apparent that female minorities are like the major demographic that, that elects the democratic party like over and over again. We have female minorities to thank for this. Yeah. Um, and we're not on here to like, voice our political opinions i mean you'll tell that who we were rooting for but we're more here to talk about what what has happened yeah what it means yeah um so she's just like i'm sure that you know maybe you don't but kamala harris is not the first person who's been on a presidential ticket first woman woman um it's obviously sarah sarah palin back with uh who did she run with john mccain yeah that was um, in, like, 2010, which, like, to be honest, like, I remember that because of the SNL skits. I know, <laughs> Tina Fey. Who was, like, I mean, I love presidential SNL years. I don't really watch SNL except on presidential election years. But, and, like, Tina Fey is just one of my favorites anyways. She did a phenomenal Sarah Palin. Yeah, she did. <laughs> I can see Russia from my house. And then Ferraro who ran back in the 80s, 1984, which is T-minus four years for Meredith, T-minus five years for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember that one. <laughs> I'm sure my parents do. And then Hillary Clinton, obviously. Well, obviously presidential ticket. Yeah. Hillary was the first presidential candidate. So um, I don't know. To me, it feels big, It like for a number, a number of reasons, but um, certainly easier to be an American as of yesterday, I've basically spent, I mean, it's convenient because I live here in Canada and I don't correct people really when they call me Canadian. I'm not going to be like, oh, actually I'm American. No, I just like for four years I've let that slide because like I haven't really been particularly proud of the United States and the way that we're seen on a global scale, which sometimes you don't really experience until you leave the country. So I remember like it's apparent here it's very evident how the u.s is sort of viewed here and then we were in sweden and denmark last summer and i remember the first when we got off the train in copenhagen one of the first things that i saw just out of nowhere was a giant trump baby balloon and i was like <laughs> okay so that's it kinda, didn't paint the best picture of him <laughs> no and it was one of those things like i have to hand over our u.s passport you know, to get into the country. And it's like, why do I feel so ashamed that people know, you know, that they look at that passport and they look at me and they probably just make all kinds of assumptions. So it's certainly, certainly easier. And then the second reason obviously is, um, you know, because it's validation, uh, for, for women all over the the globe, certainly in the U S and I mean, the U S is the leader of the free world. Yeah. So what's happening here, it sets a tone, arguably, for the rest of the world. Like, even though I live in Canada, I was so invested in this election. I was so invested. I've been invested in what's going on with the coronavirus in the U.S. Like, I mean, we are much closer to the U.S. than other countries, European countries and such. But like, what's going on in the U.S. has a huge impact on what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah. Which is not something I think a lot of Americans don't realize that. Mm -hmm. And it's why... Europeans, Canadians, that's why people are so invested in what's going on in the U.S. because it really sets the the tone for the rest of the world. 
So yeah, it was a big day. And it's something that we've like, all of this is coming together really nicely for us because it's a topic that we've discussed on occasion. Um, and so you were just re- listening to a podcast by, uh, with Brene Brown and Abby Wambach. Abby Wambach. Yeah. Yeah. And so Abby Wambach, if you don't know, I don't know ex- exactly the years. I think she retired in 2015 from the U S national women's soccer team. And Brene Brown is, I mean, if you don't know who she is, you should look her up. She's done Ted talks and she's basically, I think she's a psychologist who basically researches like vulnerability and shame. Those are kind of her primary encourage. Yeah. Focus of research. Anyway, she has a podcast and Abby Wambach was on it. Abby has written a book. It's called Wolfpack. And I haven't read the book, but they kind of go through each chapter and just, they discuss like why Abby um, wrote about that, what's her personal experience with it. And basically the book kind of describes like as a female professional soccer player and just like a female in the world, um, her experience and what she thinks of like the old rules versus the new rules of like a female. And one of the chapters basically she said the new rule or the old rule was be grateful for what you have be grateful and ambitious which is perfectly fine she thinks that the new rule should be be grateful be ambitious but demand what you deserve and then Brene Brown went on to say um that like she agrees that most females they can't accept their success they think it's like short-lived or they've been the given the opportunity given the opportunity it could be taken away at any moment maybe not as well earned as their male counterparts and abby wambach explained her story behind this new rule and her perspective and she was accepting an award um a retirement award with kobe bryant and peyton manning it was a, a lifetime achievement award at the espies yeah and you know, she was up there on stage, extremely grateful for the opportunity that she had been given, just like anybody would be, male or female, I, I imagine. And, you know, the lights went out and they walked off the stage and she said it hit her like a ton of bricks. This feeling that, you know, even though she's being treated as an equal with these two right now in terms of her sports achievements, she's walking off the stage thinking to herself, these two amazing athletes are walking into an entirely different retirement than she is. They're thinking, what am I going to do with my millions of dollars that I made? What am I going to invest in? What, how am I going to make more money or whatever it is? Whereas she's walking down the steps off the stage thinking to herself, how am I going to pay my mortgage next month? And she went on to say that, you know, she fancied herself as a, a pretty great athlete, which arguably she is or was. And, represented the United States for several years in the Olympics and on the soccer field. And she didn't make, you know, and she's throughout her whole career was thinking to herself, you know, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Like I got to travel the world. I got to represent my country. Like this was, you know, in some way given to me, of course she knows that she earned it, but I think in the back of her head, it's like, be grateful for the opportunity. Whereas now you see, and I think this is partially because of Abby you see the national women's soccer team pushing for equal pay and right, rightly so. I mean, they're, they're sacrificing or not sacrificing, but their life is committed to representing the country in sport. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're the more successful team. When you look at, you know, the national program, the men's national team is like hilariously not successful. Yeah. And the women's team is. And so, you know, the argument there is like, why then are the women making one-tenth of what the men are? Why is that? And so it's, it's, you know, I think for a long time, and this is like, this is the U.S. national team, maybe specific. Well, actually, it's kind of women's sports. For a long time, they were probably just grateful that a women's league existed. Yeah. And that they got to play. And you see this theme across you know, across all sports, you see it with the women's national team. You see it with the, the women's, um, like there's two women's hockey 
like pro- professional quote unquote professional leagues that exist. You see it there. Um, you know, the league that's doing the best job at it and it should be, at, it should be no surprise is the NBA and the WNBA. They're really, they're leading the way. Um, and it's like, you know, the U S women's national team lost their lawsuit against USA soccer, but they're gonna, it's like, all right, like, you know, we see you, we're going to continue. We're going to continue this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, you know, those themes, it just kind of goes to like what we're brought up to think and believe and how to behave as, as women. And, um, it's like, we're like, I'm sitting here recording this pot and like, we've talked about this. I'm so uncomfortable even recording this because, you know, it feels on a level like I'm asking for too much or I'm ungrateful or like we should be qualifying everything that we're about to say. It makes me uncomfortable. Like, you know, it makes me uncomfortable to think about some of the men in our life. Like, oh, are they going to listen to this and be uncomfortable? Like why, like why that's ingrained in us as, as women, like as much of a, like a feminist as I hold myself out to be, I still can't, like I have a hard time getting around some of the anxiety about, you know, pointing out systemic inequalities and that, you know, the, the pay gap still exists. Yeah. Um, Brene Brown went on to say in that segment of the podcast that she used to teach a course and one of the exercises in the course was you would create as a student you would create your own grading system and then at the end of the at the end of the course you would grade yourself based on your grading system and she said that she had to completely stop doing that because all of the males would come up and be like nailed it a plus and then the females would come up and or explain their grade and they'd be like i gave myself a b but like i don't know i think like maybe i deserve more of a b minus I'm not really sure because I like I just don't really know like what do you think do you think and she's sitting there like oh my god stop it's just questioning and wondering if you actually like earn something and and I mean I would I would agree with that I wonder that all the time myself mm. like I'm grateful for the opportunities and like but do I demand what I deserve I mean well, I, think- I don't know I mean even in business or my like previous job I kind of I do kind of coast through like, oh, wow, I've been given this great opportunity and that's fine and grand. But like, even with our business, I'm thinking like, I don't know, there's, there's, there's still that question in my head. Yeah. Like, are we, like, has this been given to us? Are we just lucky? Are we good enough? Like if compared against a equal male counterpart, like how do we stack up? Like, yeah, like there's that constant worry in my mind that the clients that I have, if approached by an equally qualified male business owner or nutrition coach or whatever, that they wouldn't hesitate to go with the male. Straight up. Like that is an anxiety that I have every single day. Cause it's like, you know, how could you take me seriously? I'm a female and like, it's, I certainly don't, it's not like a a major anxiety that I have, but it's back there and it keeps me on the, like, it does make me want to have safety nets or it makes me want to say yes to other opportunities just in case. Whereas like, I don't think that men go through life, you know, with thinking like, Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so lucky that I have this opportunity. No, like men go through life and like, I'm generalizing here again. Like I'm not going to like qualify everything that I say, but in general, I think men go through life thinking, fuck yeah, I deserve this. I earned this. Yeah. I'm exactly where I need to be. Like, this is where I belong. Like, I'm going to reach for higher because I deserve it. Yeah. I deserve more money. I deserve more opportunity. I work hard. Yeah. That's like, that's how men go through life. Women, it's like, you know, yeah, I work hard, but like, man, I'm so thankful that I have this opportunity. I'm so grateful to the people that enable this in my life. And it's like that is a, that is a hard thing to, to stop doing. Like, I mean, I do it, you do it. I worked, you know, for six years in a very progressive field, like pharmaceuticals, even on the East coast operates more like a West coast company, extremely progressive, very active in, 
um, LGBTQ communities. You know, one of my like my mentor and my boss and my supervisor was a um, was a woman, and you know, still there's there's anxiety when I would you know when I would get up and present in a room full of still mostly men because engineering is a mostly like male field. And it's like, how am I going to get up and you know, talk about something which, frankly, I'm an expert in? Like, they're not going to take me seriously no matter what comes out of my mouth. Like, it's just, it, it, is an, it is an anxiety. And it goes beyond, like, just your, your basic run-of-the-mill imposter syndrome, which I think probably women, suffer, like, suffer from more often. It's just, it's straight up, like, this inequality is, is hard-coded. Mm-hmm. I remember one of my classmates in law school I was sitting on the on the bus to go downtown to the courthouse for some something. And we both so I was with him him and his girlfriend. And she and I had both been selected to article at this big firm. And it was like a pretty big accomplishment like mm-hmm. I'm proud of it. Um and I remember him saying to us like, "Oh yeah, this firm like they only hire good-looking women." Like and kind of like looked at us both and like I'm thinking to myself like okay it's like <laughs> really <laughs> like it's t- it's 2016 it's like, or whatever that's for starters that's not true mm-hmm. or at least I don't think it is based on the people there they were normal looking people like I was just I'm like how so <laughs> I don't even need to say what he was saying or what I presumed he was saying he's saying like you're good looking. I got hired partially because of the way that I look. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, this is male and female, and this is partially just psychology and preference. People prefer better looking people or more normal looking, not mm-hmm. normal, but like um, average. What would be considered beautiful? Yeah. Um, if you are compared against a count, an equal c- counterpart, it's more likely that the better looking person will get the job. It's psychology. For a, a male who in 2000 and what was it, 18 to say that, like to his girlfriend loud. and to his friend yeah. out loud is just like beyond belief. Mm-hmm. I mean, but is it? It's not, <laughs> but it is. I was, I, and I just, you know what I did? Nothing. Yeah. Cause like what, like, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, really? What was going through your head in that moment? I was, I kind of just sloughed it off. I was like, well. Did you think to your, at least I got the job. (laughs) Exactly. I'm so grateful for this job (laughs) at this wonderful slash kind of apparently sexist company. Like, did you, did you think to yourself, like, I can't say anything? I don't think so. I think it was just in my head. Like you just don't, you just kind of go, okay. Yeah. And, and, and interestingly, when I got to that firm and started working there, there, there were quite a few females who worked there, but the, the number of female partners were much lower than the number of male partners and this is this is well known in that field like it's especially in calgary it's very old school like oil and gas based and i mean my mom went through it she has stories about it it certainly wasn't like that when i was there in terms of like the way that females were treated Mm -hmm. but there was there was definitely discussion and more action taken within the the female group of lawyers to to make it aware that they were the mi- minority and that needed to change yeah so i mean it's still an issue but you know we're taking more action and mm. i guess t- my point is to say like it's it exists in probably almost every single career yeah and the fact that that kind of thing like you know, whether it overtly happens or not, whether you, you, you feel it because something is said to you like that, or you feel, you feel it because you look up the management chain and you don't see anyone who looks like you. The fact of the matter is like, historically women have not felt empowered to say anything Yeah. to point it, even like even point it out. I think, so if you look at boards, um, corporate company boards, Mm -hmm. I don't have the exact statistic, but it's safe to assume that they're majority male. Yeah. I mean, you look at politics, you look at Senate seats, it's overwhelmingly male. Mm-hmm. And you talk to people and they'll say, you know, we don't choose female or male based on their sex. It's just like the best man is put forward. Best man or woman is put forward. Yeah. So how how is it that 
there are so many males that are so much better than females. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? I mean, I think it's there's two things. There's number one, males just are like probably picked or subconsciously. Yeah. And then the second thing is there are fewer females who are driven to those seats yeah or positions yeah and that could be a number of reasons like i mean it kind of goes back to like what i was saying with engineering like you can't look at the demographics in a you know an engineering department and say like oh it's 80 percent men it's sexist like the fact of the matter is like it goes all the way like i'm gonna go down a bit of a rabbit hole here it goes back to education elementary education Mm -hmm. and how empowered do girls feel to seek out um math you know education yeah how how empowered do they feel to go into stem um how empowered do they feel to go into you know engineering fields it it goes all the way back because if a girl feels like they they aren't either aren't smart enough inherently or don't deserve those opportunities they're not going to seek out an education in engineering or in science or in technology straight up and if they don't do that then they're not going to get hired into engineering departments and so what you see there is not a reflection on a reflection of of discrimination in in hiring Mm -hmm. it's a reflection of um let me think of the word here because the first thing that came to mind was oppression and it's not that it's a reflection of the opportunities that children are empowered to seek out when they're young yeah and you could I think those opportunities are there, but they're not empowered to mm. and the same thing probably for uh you know, for, for nursing or for teaching. Like, you know, if boys don't feel empowered or that it's, you know, manly and masculine to seek out uh career opportunities in nursing or in, you know, primary education, then you're gonna see that reflected in those mm-hmm. areas also. Yeah. And then you could go into the argument of why is why are those fields so underpaid when you compare them to largely male fields but that is a that's a rabbit hole we should probably not go down yeah but as far as like representation on executive boards like it is it's largely men and you know it's not to say that there aren't qualified female candidates out there um but i think it stops right like i saw it stop like you know i worked for the company that i worked for biogen like great company and you would see women you know up in middle management upper management but still like you see the board of directors and the ceo and the cfo and they're men yeah so it's there's a there's a ceiling it's like where is the ceiling i think that it still exists for most companies somewhere yeah when um both when kamala harris and joe biden came onto stage last night for their speeches I cried Mm. and I it was I I was kind of shocked at my emotions because like I'm I'm not an American I'm not um I don't I'm not African-American I'm not like I don't feel like I'm a minority I am in a sense because I'm gay but like I guess I never really like I just wouldn't have thought that I would have been that impacted by it. And like when she walked out on that stage, I can't even describe what it was. I felt it was just like pure joy, elation. Yeah. And not just because, you know, the the person I, I wanted to win won or the people I wanted to win won, but because it, it meant so much for the country and, and for the world. Mm-hmm. It was just, I just felt like it was just this, this like breakthrough or something. Yeah. It, um, I've, like the last four years have just made me mad. And I don't think I realized how heavy it was and how mad I was until last night when it was like a total reversal of all of those emotions. I think that's probably what you felt. And, you know, on top of that, I probably would have felt that if it was two men. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it was, Kamala Harris who is this just like fireball of a woman who like she has those traits that you know sometimes are twisted into being negative about women she has 
this like fiery passion about her and she you know she has a look and she says things i mean she made brett kavanaugh cry like Mm -hmm. she's she's in a lot of ways would be described as like kind of for lack of a better word aggressive but that's how people that's how people like to describe women like her and so she has all of those qualities and joe biden like had the audacity to pick her which is what she said in her Mm -hmm. her speech and it just it it felt good to see someone who i i admire for that reason i've certainly been described that way a lot of my life i mean every every job review i ever had every yearly review every like it was just i'm a very red person like i have a lot of those traits they get held against me um and so to see someone like that elevate to like you know one of the highest positions in the world it's awesome like it's it's it feels good it feels it's like it's liberating i feel lighter it made me like it made me i think you know it's hard it's been hard for me to envision the the future because it's like what what is the future if you know this is how the you know the leadership in the u.s is like do i want to bring kids into this i have no idea but like kamala harris walked out and she had her like two little nieces out there and i was like this is like this is okay i was struck like when they were panning around the people who were there and even just in other cities when you would see some of the coverage (laughs) and i was i would see like black women or any color woman or man really and young young girls specifically i would and it was like these girls are seeing they're this is so symbolic to them like this is so empowering for Mm -hmm. them specifically them and it's like they need this like they we need this yeah Uh, it was just and then when joe biden got up there and started speaking it was so refreshing to not only have a coherent speech of actual things but for him to say things like the word gay which we haven't heard in four years from the president of the united states like as a gay female like i don't want to go to the u.s i'm scared i'm scared to hold my girlfriend's hand in certain certain cities fiance fiance (laughs) partner i don't know it's just like to me it was like wow like okay i feel better yeah i'm getting emotional it's like and then i you see on cnn these reporters the same thing it's like Every single person who has kids or, you know, who wants a better world for their kids just, like, was overcome with emotion. Yeah. It just, it it means a lot in so many ways. Mm-hmm. It's hard to f- tell them all, and I'm sure there are, are things I missed, but to yeah. me, that was, it was just a really... Yeah, and it's, like, it is important for girls to see it, not necessarily because, like, we, you know, they need to be given an opportunity. They need to know that it's okay to go out and get those opportunities that they belong there that it's a level playing field that if you want to be president or vice president of the united states like there's nothing stopping you all you have to do is go get it um it's just what's crazy and like we have i'm ironically titling this not ironic the title of this episode is there's glass everywhere um so we talk about you know kamala breaking through the glass ceiling and there's glass ceilings that exist in all industries um but she's broken through a big one and you'd like to think that okay so she's through it everything's going to be great people are going to stop questioning her but the reality of it is there will be people who spend you know the rest of their lives trying to find reasons to discredit her because she's female she might wear a dress that somebody doesn't like mm-hmm. she might not and do that's her hair one be, day yep. and that's going to be that's going to be enough for some people to criticize her credentials for that office. Never mind the fact that like there's been a baboon in the highest office for four years and no one bothered criticizing his credentials. But Kamala, just because she decides to wear Chuck Taylors on a day, is gonna, you know, be held to the fire. And so it, you know, it's it's like women and um and I keep using the term female and I'm trying to stop do that doing that because um it's how you describe a dog. Um women everywhere are in all industries experience that and you have to like it's unfortunate but right now you do have to defend your position whatever it is and you know we 
we kind of experienced that, um, in this industry in fitness and nutrition. And, um, you know, when you, when you look at who, who are the experts and I'm going to, you know, we're saying fitness and nutrition, it does exist for both. When you look at who are the, who are the coaches that, you know, name three strength and conditioning coaches, name three experts in the field of nutrition. And you tell me if any of those six people are female. I mean, yeah, they're not. Um, and you know, nutrition is a, is a very interesting industry, especially kind of nutrition and, and health and lifestyle coaching, which is, you know, different than the field of, um, you know, registered dietitians, the, what we do. I would say a lot of the, the legwork, the interaction with clients, with people on a daily basis is done by, by women. Um, there are a lot of women in this industry. And um, when you think about, you know, the people who I follow on Twitter and on Instagram, um, they're men. Mm-hmm. The experts in the field are men. Like you're looking at Helen Aragon, um, Lane Norton, James Smith, Lyle McDonald. Like those are the, the people who are considered experts in the field of nutrition and, and in coaching nutrition. And then you have um, people like us. You have EC. You have um, you have these small businesses who are owned by women or people who just, you know, women who just coach on their own. And the messaging is totally different, which is something that we've talked about. And we kind of like, we thread a fine line with what we put, what we put out there and what we're comfortable putting out there. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we put up on Instagram that even, even when I put it up, I'm like, Ooh, that's like, that's kind of aggressive. And like, we, you know, the tone that we take is not a tone that you see often by women in this industry. And you compare that to the tone, to the way that Lane Norton puts information out or, you know, the way that Lyle McDonald can talk about, you know, failed dieting, failed dieters, the way that James Smith puts information out, especially. Yeah. He's a, a really very, like, controversial character online. Somewhat, I like, I like his messaging, but it's very vulgar, mm-hmm. partially, I think, because he's British, <laughs> but also because he just, yeah, it's aggressive. Yeah. He will aggressively state his opinions without any qualification, like qualifying language. Yeah. Without, usually without citing anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas like when we do it, it's like, okay, I'm going to, like, we usually qualify it to an extent and there's usually citations. Mm-hmm. Um, just and be- if there aren't citations... There will almost always be a a man who comes onto our page or actually another woman, it, it actually doesn't really matter, who will say, what, what study is this? Where are the citations? I posted, I posted one the other day, it was a while back, about why you should eat the same number of calories on rest days. Mm. And like, I didn't actually even do any research. I just know because of the way that the bot, like, I just know from my education, like what I know, yeah, what I've learned. And it, I kind of came to the conclusion that you should eat more calories on rest days. <laughs> and some guy comes on and says, well, where's the study? I'm like, there is no study. Like there's a study for all of the points that I make, like replenishing glycogen stores and whatever else <laughs> I use to make that conclusion. It's like, there is no study for the... I, Alex Parker, am drawing my own conclusion. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of as a a lot of people have that opinion Mm -hmm. and I just said it yeah and it was just like you know it's like I don't know like there's nothing in there that isn't known like all the points that I make it it seemed like a logical conclusion like this is why you should eat the same amount on rest days if you're training for performance yes (sighs) yeah and it's it's no different than I like I remember when you did that blog post on the vegan oh the game changers the game changers oh my and God. so you posted on on instagram like a short short version yeah and then been like go see my blog and the comments were so like negative like firing back at you like yeah number one i had every like i had pulled out every single citation that they had in the in the documentary and had explained its actual like okay they're using it to say that this is true when in reality this is what this study says is, is this. Yeah. So it's, it's basically like the whole point of the blog was debunking 
the Game Changers documentary using their own references. Yeah. Like that was the whole point of the blog. And not only were you getting people who clearly hadn't even read the blog, just being like, well, what do you know? Not only that, but asking you what your qualifications were. Yes. What is your education? Who, what gives you the right to make these, mm -hmm. uh, like, to, to debunk and I had uh, to such be a like, well-known well yeah. video? Like, I shouldn't have to explain that. Like, I spent years reading research. And then, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And then, Lane Norton posted almost the exact same thing. A bunch of people ended up doing it. Yeah, but he basically took, I mean, like, we don't have to get into it. It was probably plagiarized. We, yeah. But anyways, and you looked at the comments on his page. And granted, he has, he had at that point, and he still does, have way, 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 way more followers mm -hmm. than we do. That's beside the point. But almost every single one of his comments were positive. Like, thank you, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you. Thank, like, yeah. you're the best. You're so smart. Like, wow, I, I never would have realized. Thank you for, you know, putting this to light. All because he's probably a male and has the letters PhD after his name. But like it was, it he basically had done the exact same thing that you did, which yeah. is like debunk it by using each and every reference from the actual video and ex explaining where they came to that conclusion yeah. and that they were far reaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like. So anyways, at the same time, that sort of um, position that we feel that we've been put in as women in the field. I think has lit a bit of a fire under our butts to really fight tooth and nail to defend ourselves. Yeah. And to, to be the best, like we think we're the best company out there. Like I'm going to prove it. Yeah. I want like, I, that was kind of a pivoting moment specifically. Cause I was like, Oh shit. Like people are talking about us. People are looking like, you know, whether they want to argue with me or agree with me, like they're talking about us and they know that we're like relevant. Mm -hmm. And so like, I want to take what we have, which is a, a company who's like founded by two women and have it stand in ranks with companies founded and run by men mm -hmm. and with, with male experts in the field, because that's like, I know that's where we belong. I know that's where we belong. Yeah. And it might take us longer to get there because of who we are. It might take us longer to get there because we're sort of immediately written off by, you know, by people who look at us and they go, oh, they're just, they're a couple of athletes who have a platform. Or at times we maybe discount ourselves. Yeah. And, but I'm fine with it taking longer because I know that once we get it there, number one, I don't think I'm ever going to stop pushing it. Um, but once we get it there, I'll, I'll know, I'll know that it is a result of, of our hard work and it's exactly where we deserve to be. Mm -hmm. It's not that we weren't given anything. It's not that we're known for going to the CrossFit games. It has nothing to do with that. I want to be known. Like, I don't give a shit if anyone remembers that I went to the CrossFit games in 2018. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not a CrossFit games athlete. I'm an expert in nutrition. Yeah. That's what I want to be remembered as. And I think that's, you know, when we started Tactic Nutrition, we made an Instagram account that was separate and apart from our personal accounts, partially because we wanted to grow ourselves in a new, a new way. It, and our brand was separate from us as individuals, even though we're behind the brand. But another thing was so that we could, you know, voice our opinions separate and apart from nutrition on our personal pages without it necessarily being tied to our business. Yeah. And I, I mean, think like that, and we've, we've discussed this. I think that, I mean, everybody knows, I think most people know who stands behind tactic and our like, you know, our personal pages are somewhat maybe synonymous with our business at this point. Mm -hmm. Not totally, but I like that, you know, if you, don't, if you can't get down with me as a person, like I probably don't want you involved in my business anyways. So it's a bit of a, our business, yeah, yeah, a bit of a filter, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, there's a barrier. If you're like, oh man, I don't really like that. She posts political stuff on her personal Instagram. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to follow tactic. I don't want to be a client. Like good. I don't want you as a client. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm cool with that. And like, I've become a little more aggressive with my personal page. Like there was definitely a period of time. And I think it was, you know, as soon as you start to amass a certain amount of followers, you, you sort of worry about like, Oh, I don't want to piss them off. I don't want to upset them. I don't want them to leave. I don't want them to unfollow me. And I think there are a lot of people out there that still operate with that. And especially because you can make money on Instagram now. Plenty of people do it. I don't make money on Instagram. So like, I've sort of gotten a little pushier with my, 
with my personal page. And I like, I want people to know where I stand politically. I want people to know what's important to me because like, you know, representation matters and it's easy. Like it, it makes sense when you say that, when you talk about somebody like Kamala Harris getting into office and like, oh, she represents me. She looks like me. She acts like me. But on a micro level, um, I think that, you know, we already get a lot of, uh, not a lot, a medium amount of attention and respect for representing gays in CrossFit and being out outwardly gay. Um, I think it's like, I mean, personally, I can put myself easily on the other side of that because I was at one point. And, you know, it's representation means more than just being a, a certain, like being gay or being a minority. Like the people who I follow and I connect with, like they're posting about the stuff that I care about. Like, you know, it's, I'll post political things. I'll, I'll put out the fact that I'm really happy that Joe Biden won and that Kamala Harris is the first female VP. Like, I want you to know where, where I stand because I want you to feel empowered in your beliefs. Like, imagine, and it's, it's not hard to imagine because it's reality, a lot of these, uh, these other athletes, CrossFit specifically, you know, it's like it's radio silence on that stuff. So you're a person who feels strongly about the political climate that you're in and about your beliefs and you look to people who you look up to and there's nothing. Mm -hmm. there's, there's not even a mention of it. So it's like, oh shit, is this not important to them? Is it weird that it's important to me? Should I be quiet? Should I not say anything? Like, um, that's what I mean. Like that's representation on a micro level. That's just, that's being, that's being real. And, um, again, I think there's a lot of fear about being political on a, a an Instagram page. If that Instagram page is also how you make a large, you know, part of your income. Um, you know, but a lot of people did, they posted the black square on that Tuesday for black lives matter. And it's like, okay, so there's that, there's that performative activism. Great. Like maybe you didn't know exactly what to say. And that's at least saying like, Hey, I'm thinking about it. I'm spending some time and thought and reading about this issue. But where is it now? Where is it now? We're like, arguably we're making, like we stand to, to make strides in that area. And it's not about posting one time on Instagram. It's about sustaining the effort. It's about demonstrating endurance and, um, you know, what you feel is, is right or, or wrong. And I'm not saying like, um, everyone has to use their platform in the same way that I do. I don't think that's true at all. Um, but it's being looked at and, um, you know, I see how people would feel weird, you know, if you look to the people that you look up to and who were vocal, at least to an extent back in the summer and there's nothing now. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. I think this time is really tough. It's the country is so split mm -hmm. and I'm talking about the United States and actually Canada for that matter. Like us politics is a very hot topic right now in Canada and probably around the world. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to try to stay away from my opinion and more talk about facts, yeah. but Trump has been a big part about of dividing this country and you know you heard about the news about like secret trump voters like people know and they might believe what trump believes which is like you know pro-life or whatever he has different republicans have different values things like that but it's you can't deny the fact that trump has created so much tension and so as a an athlete who wants to appeal to everyone on within CrossFit or their sport or that, you know, they're being followed for a completely other reason, whether they're a Biden, um, advocate or a Trump advocate or a Republican or a Democrat, like, because the country's so split that they do stand the chance mm -hmm. to piss off 50% of their followers yeah. by posting something, especially if it's something pro Trump actually, or pro Biden, <laughs> because the other side is so fired up. Yeah. And I think partially that's Trump's fault because he is so, he's so, um, combative and uses these strong words and has really pinned people against each other. Like the number, the amount of violence in the country, just based on like people being punched in the face. <laughs> 
and people having to be secretive about supporting yeah it's just i think it's tough to say to an athlete like you should be proactive about what you believe in when like it is scary out there i guess what i i should have pointed out like it's it's not that i'm saying they should it's like i feel strongly about being proactive mm -hmm. and about putting it out there um because i want you know even if i i only have twenty thousand some followers I want my followers to, to know the ones who like agree with me or whatever, um, you know, to, to know that I care about that stuff. Yeah. And I don't think there's a should or shouldn't. No. For that matter. I never thought there was, I think the black lives matter was a big eye opener mm-hmm. because there was so much shame and criticism over should and shouldn't. It was driving me absolutely That crazy. was like the worst of the internet. I couldn't, it was every, it actually made me so sad that people were trying to help or, trying to be a part of it and we're just getting for lack of better words shit on yeah like damned it, if you do damned if yeah, you don't it didn't matter what what was on their instagram what wasn't on their instagram it was like yep. people were just firing at them <laughs> and people were firing at friends family yeah. each other for we were we were all fighting the same fight the thing is like we were at that moment collectively as a society thrust into the, into the middle of a, a social experiment mm-hmm. because we like we as a society have never experienced anything like that. Any kind of uh, um, like something that got that much traffic on social media and just triggered this immediate response. And the the response was on social media, it was in person, there were protests. And it's like, you know, there, there was gaslighting, there was virtue signaling, there was all these things happening all at once. And it just, it, instead of, um, I guess all kinds of messages were getting amplified at that moment. It was like, you know, you're just saying this so that, you know, because everyone else said it or, you know, don't post a black square because it's blocking the hashtags or like, you know, write a post, don't write a post, you know, don't use that word, use this word, you know, stop saying all lives matter. It diminishes black lives matter. It's like, holy shit. Like, yeah. uh, just like the people anxiety, are trying. Anxiety here. was like, 15 out of 10 yeah. that week. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm like, at one point I'm like, can I email people? Like, <laughs> I didn't know. Like, was it okay to like text somebody about something other than this? Like, yeah. it was, it was. You know what? I'm just going to smash my phone. All right. <laughs> I'm going to throw it. No, but like in all seriousness. I know. That was crazy. I remember. And that wasn't even that long ago. Like we had friends who have big social media followings for their CrossFit and they were they were freaking out because they're like what do i do what do i do like you know people people don't follow me for politics they don't really they follow me for my support but like i i obviously have feelings about this but i don't know what to say i don't mm. know i don't know when to say it i don't know what, what words was, to use what picture tough, do i put up but i think the world has just the the us our world north america at least from my experience has just been in it's been a t- it's been rough yeah it's it's yeah and i think as much we we obviously talk about it all the time together Mm -hmm. we talk about it with our families all the time and i think it was about high time that we you know pulled our pants up and shared it with you guys yeah and there's like i'm still sitting here with like a large amount of anxiety about this podcast um if it goes up, it will be a miracle because we record a lot of podcasts and then we're like, we can't put that up. Yeah, it's too, it's so too much. So maybe we'll really just do it this time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the takeaway is is this and it's, um, I obviously having women in positions of power is helpful for representation, for women, for minorities. Um, it, it does break that glass ceiling but realize like you know that's not the end of the fight here it's like this is the beginning and um on a a, you know on a personal level i think that a lot of the you know the change happens with controlling your own narrative and controlling the dialogue that runs in your head and and pivoting away from um you know you can be ambitious but be grateful first to um, be grateful, be proud, be ambitious and demand what you deserve mm-hmm. um, instead of just overwhelmingly being 
only grateful. You know, it's women are smart. Like we're we're like look at we're who's the better the, sex. Who's really the, the prime minister of New Zealand? Like, yeah. Um, you know, we we can be in positions of power. Like we can be respected. We like the way our brains work are a little bit different. And there's a lot of there's a lot to gain from that. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I know my own experience. I also have a glimpse into other really awesome, smart, um, ambitious women's heads because I coach a lot of women. I also coach a lot of men. And more with the women than with the men do I see, I think partially because of what's in the media and what has been instilled in us. Like, I mean, even Hillary Clinton had, you know, was criticized for the clothes that she wore and the way that she looked. And it kind of saying, like going back to, you know, if, you know, a, a powerful woman doesn't do her hair, but like, you just don't hear that about men. There's so much more pressure on women to, you know, look a certain way. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's just a matter of fact, like, yes, there is more discussion about like male insecurity and stuff like that. And that is a thing. I'm not doubting that, but it is so much more prevalent among women. And I think I would go as far as to say as women are not reaching their full potential in life because they are oftentimes so consumed with what they look like, how they're perceived, all of these things, all of these insecurities that have just been developed within them Mm -hmm. from many different sources, probably most of the time, like unintentionally. Yep. And I think in order to change the way that women are perceived is we need to change how we perceive ourselves and speak to ourselves as we want to be spoken to by everybody else and how we deserve to be spoken to. Yep. Um, I, I just have one more point when we were watching the games, I remember they were interviewing Matt and Tia and pretty much all the athletes, but one thing kind of stuck out and Tia said, you know, as, as much as I am proud of, you know, the athlete that I am, if anything, I want to be remembered as a good person, as somebody who cares about others. And I'm like, all right, cool. But then I'm like, wait, I've never heard a male athlete say that. (laughs) I've heard many female athletes say, or women, women say that. Never once. I mean, maybe somebody somewhere, but I, Matt, he doesn't need to say that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's a good person. Like there are great athletes who are like male athletes who are assholes and no one even cares. No, but like, (laughs) but women have to be a certain, they don't have to be, Yeah. but in order to be acceptable, you have to put on this front that you're like uh, some sort of humanitarian on top of being an elite athlete what's ironic um is you look you compare oh man yeah you compare you know tia to someone like megan rapino yeah who is just like number one megan megan rapino is a badass straight up meredith loves rapino and when i first discovered this (laughs) i was like i don't know i mean i'm not a huge fan of the like u.s women's soccer team i find that they and this is ironic of me to say, but I find that the, the way they celebrate is too much. And that kind of, it kind of goes <laughs> against what we've been saying this whole time about like, you know, be proud, be loud. Yeah. Um, ex- like celebrate your success and demand, you know, what you deserve. At the same time, like I'm also a very modest person, athlete, quiet. And so I'm and when you're like, beating Thailand 13 to zero, yeah. maybe cut out the, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to celebrate after each goal when you're like winning 20 to zero. I mean, I love it, but. Um, so, so when Meredith said she was a big fan of Rapino, I was like, oh, great. But you know what? I started following her on Instagram. I started reading stuff about her and she is an incredible human being. Like she is somebody that everybody, everybody should follow. And like, yeah. Anyways, back to your point. Well, that's the thing, right? Like Megan Rapino doesn't have to sit in an interview and say the words, I want to be remembered as a good person who cared for others and who is an activist in certain ways. Why is that? Because Megan Rapinoe lives that life every single day. Every single day. That's just who she is. 
And like, if she wasn't, she would be remembered as a good soccer player. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, do what you want. Like I love Megan Rapinoe because she's, she's the best at her sport. She's like, she has a look, like she has a way that she behaves. She has a swagger, which like just really irritate, like it irritates people. Yeah. But I'm like, if you're a woman and you want to have swagger, like, God damn it, go have swagger. (laughs) I, I love that. I'm like, I am here for that. Yeah. I love seeing women walk around like that because it's like, yeah, like you're there, take up space, take up as much space as you, as you want, because you've like, you deserve it. Yeah. Like Megan Rapino deserves to take up as much space as she wants. I think I, I had a, okay. And this is kind of on topic, but also not when I, when I was studying psychology, I remember there was, um, a study and it was like the way that males and females sit and males actually sit and stand in a way that takes up more space. Yeah. Like spread. Go look at done. Like, women like it could be because you're wearing a dress or a skirt but for the most part you look at like postures and it's completely different well yeah go look at um there's that ted talk it's like one of my favorite ones and it's on power positions Mm -hmm. and it's it's talking about them in sort of general terms but it's like you know they did this really simple test where they tested the saliva of people assuming power positions taking up space versus people not assuming power positions assuming like um intentionally kind of small like so a power position would be sitting with your your legs open sitting with your arms out chest up like hands on your hips like just you're standing that way taking like how like, superman stands yeah power actually. position um and the opposite of that would be like the number like the most submissive position a person can take is like hands on the neck like arms crossed hands on your neck legs crossed crouching like making yourself small and they took saliva from people assuming both and they saw like and i can't remember the data i should, like i could bring it up but it's like a market increase in um in testosterone a decrease in cortisol in the people who were assuming the power positions and yeah. that's male and female they actually suggest that before you go into interviews or presentations you go into the bathroom stand in front of the mirror and assume a power pose for like five minutes for five minutes yeah. or even a minute and it it act, it will make you perform better yeah but it what they increase your confidence what and they've also um, yeah noticed is that when you put two or more people together and one person assumes a powerful position so the most often like you see this most often with men and the man spread um the person who they're speaking with will assume a complimentary uh submissive position so someone's got their legs open and they're taking up a lot of space the person that they're talking to is probably going to get smaller um because to get bigger is kind of like it's from a nature perspective creates a bit of conflict um so you can kind of imagine how the male female dynamic goes if the men are typically the ones you know taking up space and if the female decides to take up space it's going to offend the man he's going to leave um i don't know it's that's a that's an interesting there's actually an interesting amount of research around that topic both in behavior, like posture, behavior dynamics, and then actual, like what what's going on with your hormones. So, um, yeah, but that's like, you know, that's all to say. Um, now I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, so now next I'm gonna say like, no, but we still really love men, and you know, we're not. You're about to qualify. I it. was stop it. I know. I'm sitting here like, okay, we need to wrap this up in a way that pleases everybody (laughs) okay so how do we tie this all together so no one's offended yeah also like worth noting i'm sitting with my legs open and you have yours crossed and you're fidgeting with your cord so yeah would you say i'm in the power position and you're being yeah that's okay um not gonna qualify no (laughs) yeah it's it's not like none of this is meant to say that there's anything wrong with men i um have no problem with men i have many friends who are men and they're great um that's not what this is about it's not an if you know an us or them kind of thing like it's just simply women deserve to be and we like we work hard to be on a level playing field um progress was certainly made yesterday and uh if anything if you're a like if you're a woman and you know regardless of the industry that you're in and you don't feel empowered on a level to go out and crush it and to get everything you've ever dreamed of having and then some after seeing Kamala Harris walk out to Mary J Blige for her speech last night if you don't feel that I'm not sure that you're human (laughs) 
That's this is what I think. Yeah. Even if you're a diehard Republican, if you have a heart, you you felt something. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I said this yesterday, I think there's a lot of like Republicans who are probably on at least a level, some level a little bit relieved. I think any 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 woman in North America or the the world was happy to see yeah that they i mean i might be just completely <laughs> naive in saying that but i like to believe that it's true yeah um i always like to remember that there are countries where women aren't allowed to speak in public still yeah so um you know hopefully you know one day maybe not but definitely a big step i was when when they were giving their speeches and after they were done i was thinking like four years is eight years there even if it's even if it is eight years it's not going to be enough time yeah. like we need to keep this momentum that's the thing that's endurance when it's yeah. like that is it's sustaining the effort that's mm -hmm. getting more people to behave like stacy abrams yeah and it's like there's still systemic inequality in this society and i'm gonna like make it my life's work to get rid of it and that's just that's one person in one state one person in one state who, like, arguably, had it not been for Pennsylvania, it would have come down to Georgia. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good reminder that one person can make a difference. Yeah. You as a person. And that's somewhat, like, so Stacey Abrams, if you're not familiar with that story, Stacey Abrams essentially had the, the 2018 gubernatorial race stolen from her in um, the state of Georgia by uh systemic by like voter suppression in the the urban areas so a lot of people just they couldn't go vote they didn't know how they made it difficult which is something that georgia has a long track record of doing so stacy abrams lost the race and instead of you know just conceding and feeling bad for herself she she did she made it her her mission for the next two years she got eight hundred thousand people registered to vote in georgia eight hundred thousand people and she's like she's probably going to have an influence over the the Senate runoff in January. So she's continuing to do it. She'll continue to do it, um, you know, after that race is over. And she's probably going to have a bigger impact. And this is kind of how like it's cool how life works sometimes. Sometimes she's probably going to have a bigger positive impact having gone down this path, which is not the path that she initially set out to go down, than she would have if she had won the gubernatorial race in 2018 um i'm calling it like person of the year for sure for her if it's not kamala harris it's stacy abrams yeah pretty cool story yeah um so i think that kind of wraps it up for us do you have any closing things that you'd like to say alex no yeah. i feel like i said it all yeah i really did you you laid it I out did. there. I did. I'm proud of myself. You cried a few times. It's always a good podcast when you get a little watery on yeah. occasion. Um, but I think like we're just really happy. I think there are a lot of people out there who are happy like we are and and more hopeful for the future than I have been in a, a long time. I thought that I was going to go Canadian and and never look back. Potentially, you know, revoke U.S. citizenship. I wouldn't revoke it, but. I would definitely use my Canadian passport exclusively when I traveled, you know, but now it's like, maybe, you know, maybe we do end up in the U S and I feel better about that yeah. than I have. So it's, um, you know, it's a world where I think, you know, we have a, like my client, Megan Munsell, they're, you know, trying to start a family and it's like, I can like, I can put myself in her shoes because I, f I feel that anxiety and I'm in Canada. I've I felt that anxiety every time I think about starting a family. It's like, well, what am I going to bring a kid into? And it's just, it's got to feel so much better as a, a parent or, you know, um, someone who's trying to, like, thinking about starting a family. Like, how reassuring is that? I think especially after what had happened with, like, the Black Lives, all that, and then now this, it's just like, it was so, it was looking so bleak. Yeah. I mean, yes, like it was great to see people out there protesting, but like just the, the fact that that was necessary still, I know I'm like, I am probably ignorant and naive for thinking like, why is this the world that we're still living in? 
why can't everyone just get along? Like, I get it. But yeah, I just, after what have we been through, this is just like a fresh breath of fresh air. You're crying again. It's just, it was like, it's, I I wasn't even like personally affected. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go that far as like, but to watch it, it was just, I don't know. I think it's, you've seen parts of society that have been underground and they've been given, they've been empowered. Given a voice. And it's nice to see that that's hopefully, um, you know, at a minimum going to go back underground. Um, at, you know, best case scenario, maybe we can start to push forward in areas and develop policy and, you know, reach across the aisle and start to work together and be, you know, not, you know, I'm like no, no blue states, no red states, like just go back to being the United States because like it is the best country in the world. It is like, I may not live there, but it's, it's like, it's a, the, a beacon of hope for the rest of the world. And it's gotta be that way. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's a powerful thing. And it's, we didn't like the best, I'm trying to remember what Joe Biden said last night, cause it was really potent, but it's, you know, we don't demonstrate our, you know, our power by our power. Um, what was it? What was the quote? It was basically, we demonstrate our power, you know, with our unity or something like that, which is true. Like we're not, we're not like blue or red. We're American. Yeah. And I like that. It wasn't, that's not verbatim. No. Paraphrasing. But it's pretty good because he did make that point Mm -hmm. many times. Um, yeah, so that's about it. This one went long, but, um, I feel like it, there were like movements Mm -hmm. and chapters. So hopefully you got something out of it. We, um, we've been talking about doing this one for a long time and I think, you know, it just, everything came together and it was good timing. The time is right. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for listening. If you made it through the whole thing, we really appreciate it. Uh, you can follow us, uh, on Instagram. You can find us at tacticmethod.com. Um, always feel free to reach out to either of us personally or on the business page. We're always available and uh, more than happy to, to chat with you guys. So till next time, we'll see you guys.